is in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. I'm not going to be reading both chapters. I'm going to read verse 22 out of chapter 21. And then I'm going to jump down to chapter 22 and read verses 1 through 3. Chapter 21, verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And chapter 22, verse 1. And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, And on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Dear Lord, I thank You. Just for your revelation, Lord, that um, that this earth, that this world is is not all there is. It's not even close to all there is. And there's so much more in store for us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have an eternal perspective on these things. And I pray for this time this morning, Lord, that you would use Pastor Paul to uh, speak your truth to us, to illuminate um, these verses. And I pray, Lord, that you would use him for your glory and for our edification. So, Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. And use your servant, Paul, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are at the end of our little series on the blessed afterlife. This is the last one. And uh, just to remind you of the way that we started, we believe that there are three phases to the afterlife. Now, not everyone has to believe that there are three phases. Some believe that there are two phases, and that is perfectly fine. It's perfectly all right. But we tend to believe there are three phases, and let me explain again what they are. First of all, if a person dies now, before the return of Christ, they go to heaven. So the Apostle Paul said it is better to be with Christ than to remain, although he wanted to remain for uh, the edification of the churches. That's in the book of Philippians. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So that's the first phase. But what about when Jesus returns? Well, Jesus is here. So do you want to pop up to heaven when he's down here reigning? Uh, Remember that the church is the bride of Christ, And so you would expect the bride to be where the groom is, wouldn't you? 
So while Jesus is reigning for the thousand years on this planet, this particular earth, he will, um, he will be accompanied by us. Therefore, we won't go to heaven. We will be here. You see, and the saints will come with him. And then there is the eternal phase, the third phase, which is the new heavens and the new earth. And we're looking at New Jerusalem again here today. And that is the eternal realm where the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to earth and is the dwelling place of God and of the Lamb. But it comes to the new earth. And on the new earth, as we will see today, there are nations and there are kings in eternity and so that is the third that is the final fulfillment of heaven on earth that's the eternal realm some people as i've said do not believe in a literal thousand year reign of christ upon the earth okay that does not make them unspiritual it doesn't make them anything but it's uh, you know, we, I happen to disagree with that. We disagree with that at the church because if you don't take uh, chapter 20 of the book of Revelation literally, which just gives you that thousand-year period, then you'll end up not just saying that that thousand years is a spiritual symbolic number. You'll end up spiritualizing a whole bunch of prophecies in the Old Testament which testify of a coming kingdom upon this earth that is not absolutely perfect. It's just a great deal better than what we have today. But where, um, where Jesus and his presence as a prince of peace keep, as it were, the ills of the world from sprouting up. But there's still rebellion uh, that we read about at the end of the book of Revelation and some other places in the Old Testament prophets. There is still Satan who is imprisoned for that thousand years who will be loosed for a short time to bring the rebels with him to try in their futile attempt to dethrone Christ in Jerusalem and will get their comeuppance. That is the time when the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that you will bruise his heel and he will crush your skull. That's the time that that ark is completed. Do you see? Then we have the new heavens and the new earth. So that is, uh, that's where we have gone. And we know that when New Jerusalem descends, in fact, before that time, there'll be an incredible transformation in not only creation, but a transformation in us, the creature, the new creature in Christ. And the transformation that will be in us will be a physical transformation, a spiritual transformation, a mental and emotional transformation, a change in every single facet of our being, and yet we will remain the individuals that God has made us. We will just be more, better, greater. 
Hmm? Sinless, so yes, certainly. But we will be the people, the individuals that God wants us to be to inhabit the eternal realm. So that is what is in store for those who are in Jesus Christ. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he can give you forgiveness from God and eternal life as a gift, there is another place where you will end up. The place is hell. That is not a place I want you to go. That is not a place God wants you to go. That is a place that you will assign to yourself because of your unbelief. Please do not be foolish enough to not consider the salvation that is offered to you by God that is only in Jesus. And why would you turn this down? For a joke, saying, oh, well, me and my mates, we're going to have a great party in hell. You think so, do you? You think you write the rules of hell, do you? Good luck with that one. Let's rather take the word of God here seriously and let us be changed by it. Paul, in that love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, says that at that future time we will know even as we are known. We are known through and through by God. And probably we are known extremely well by the angels of God. But we really know God in a very dim fashion. We have enough revelation in the word. We have providence. We have the work of God in our hearts and in our minds. We understand what God has done for us in answer to prayer. And we are grateful for all of those truths. But we are still, there's still a barrier between us and God. There's still our presence in this world. And it's sin and it's, uh, it's, being ruled and reigned by that uh, usurper, Satan. We're not one of his. We belong to the creator himself. And that breach that there is between this cursed earth and heaven or the presence of God when Jesus returns to rule, that will be mended And we shall know even as we we are known. That means a tremendous, a huge, an enormous transformation in our knowledge. Because when we, I'm going to come back to this, but when we see Jesus, when we behold our Father in heaven, when the Spirit of God is not given to us by measure as it It is now, or he is now. We shall, we shall be different but the same. 
And that difference, that newness, that completedness that we shall have will make us more of who we are. Now I say that just in anticipation of our presence in the new Jerusalem. Because we can't step foot in New Jerusalem, such a place that uh, is going to be described here, without us being utterly changed. Look with me, therefore, at some of these passages in chapters 21 and 22. First, verses 18 through 21 of chapter 21. I've not... uh, I've kind of missed out the, the length and breadth of the city. It's, it's enormous. It's a huge cube. And depending on uh, how big you think that furlong is, there it, it uh, ranges from uh, like a thousand miles square to, to even bigger than that. But let's look at what it says about the description of it. Verse 18. The construction of its wall, the wall of New Jerusalem, was of jasper and the city was pure gold, light clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the 11th jacinth, and the 12th amethyst. All different colors, translucent. You can kind of see through it somewhat. You can see through the gold of its street somewhat. It is open, it is bright, it is colorful. There are no grays, there are no blacks. You notice that? We're accustomed to night, we're accustomed to darkness, we're accustomed to shadows, and so on. We have to be changed in order to dwell here, in order to be in the midst of such intensity. And we haven't yet got to the light of it. And so, amazing color shining from everywhere we look. Cleanness, no dirt, no grime, no dust. And a clarity or a clearness, as I've put it. I'm not even sure that that's a word, but clearness seemed to be a better word than clarity here. As we look, we can see things much further away because there are not walls, as it were, that are stopping us. The foundations are of all of these wonderful colors. And then it talks about the light. Verse... um, Verses 23 and 24 say this. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. 
for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all. Now, if God is the light and he dwells in it, how intense is that light? We're called children of light right now, aren't we? But we understand that that's in a a kind of a metaphorical sense, that the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and the Word of God dwelling within us has this lighting effect in the spiritual realm of this dark earth. And the church is to be a light, a city on a hill whose light is not hid. But what about an actual material or physical transformation so that we are children of light, as it were, in order to dwell next to the one who is light. You see, these, uh, these incredible materials, and it talks about pearls for the gates of it, massive pearls, Massive oysters, I guess. But massive pearls. An incredible sight on a transformed world. Just think about how brightly that light will uh, will shine and will be reflected off of these materials. You ever think about that? There's no need for to bring the sun down to shine on it because the light will be in it. The light will be personal. The light will be God, the Father, and the Lamb, Jesus Christ. In order to be in such a place, well, we can't go like this. Yes? Too much, far too much. And to dwell there eternally, we couldn't do it. We're not up to it in these bodies. We're not, our minds are not up to it. These eyes don't see well enough. The ears don't hear well enough to be in such a place. Just think about that. The very description of New Jerusalem here demands such a radical transformation of the saint who is going to dwell in it. You and I are going to be changed, not just tweaked. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Of course it's clear. There's no mud there. There's no contaminants in the water. Proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, it proceeds from God himself. Verse 5 says, There shall be no night there. 
They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. There's, uh, I mean, that sounds wonderful, but from my perspective right now, it also sounds daunting, because I kind of like the night. It's nice to have that contrast. It's nice to, uh, I don't know, there's something about the night that is somewhat peaceful, and it's a difference, you know, from the from the, the daytime. But here, there's not going to be any more night. That means, again, our perception of things will have to change. I can't fully understand all of this, but as I said last time, not last week because I wasn't here, but last time, if you recall, I, I spoke about how the the conception of eternity never endingness is somewhat frightful because we just cannot conceive of it if he'd have just said 10,000 years if he'd have just said maybe a million years that in itself would have been something that uh, would have taxed our imaginations But there is no end to this existence in this city, in this place. We are everything that we are, our our thoughts, the way we judge things, the way we measure things, uh, the way we think about things are all, as it were, um, conformed to time and space. What if there's no more time, as it were? Then, you see, our our understanding of things, our appraisal of things will have to change. You ever thought about any of this, or is this just me? I'm trying to drive home to you that the person that Christ has saved you to be is going to be so much more than you can fathom, so much more than you can ask or think right now. But it will still be you. But it isn't just New Jerusalem. Of course, that's what the sermon is about, but I can't not mention what it says about the nations of the earth because the new Jerusalem is not the earth it just is upon the earth according to this description now I understand there are people there are Christians they spiritualize a lot of the Bible so guess what they do when you get to Revelation 21 and 22 in the new Jerusalem they spiritualize it and they say that this isn't really real. This isn't, isn't the way it really is. It just kind of symbolizes something. Well, God bless those people. If that's the way they want to interpret this, fair enough. They're in for a nice surprise, as far as I'm concerned anyway, when this city actually does descend to the new earth. How can you believe in a new heavens and a new earth and not believe in the new Jerusalem? 
They're in the same passage. But verse 24 through 26 of uh, chapter 21, I'm going to hop around a, a bit here, describes something else. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, the light of the new Jerusalem, which of course is emanating from the light within it, which is God. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Okay. That means there's a new Jerusalem. That seems to be the dwelling place of the church because it comes to earth, as we saw, as a bride. And the church is the bride of Christ. So our dwelling place will be this incredible city. But there will be nations upon the earth. It's not just a barren wasteland and one ridiculously large city in it. There are nations that are throughout the earth. There are kings that rule those nations. There are several things that this brings to my mind. One of them is variety. These good people who try to uh, make the, the, uh, the different saints of God who are saved throughout the ages, whether before the law or after the giving of the law or during the time of the church or in the tribulation or even in the millennium, these who all want to say, no, that's just one amalgamous mass of humanity and it's all the church. Not only are they not reading the Bible, they're not reading nature. They're not seeing how God rejoices in variety. Different birds, different dogs, different beetles, different everything. Do you see? There is, as far as I can see, and I can't go into it right here, but I've gone into it elsewhere, is promises to Israel that they will be an independent nation for eternity. God has covenanted with them to do that. You say, how? I don't know. Don't ask me. Ask God. But... That doesn't mean he's not going to do it. He's going to do it. So there's Israel. The church has its promises. The church is made up of Jew and Gentile, maybe Gentile. So there's another people of God. You say, are they connected to Israel as a people of God? Yes. But they're not exactly the same. They're both humanity, but different uh, reflections of humanity. And then it says there are nations upon the earth. Do you see this? I just read it. So you've got people in New Jerusalem, you've got people in Israel, and you've got people in the nations. And they have uh, blessings that are given to them. So what I see is three peoples of God in the new heavens and the new earth. Three in one. It's a triad. They're all humanity, but it's a triad that reflects 
what? The Trinity. The three in one who is God. So not only are we made in his image as individuals, but we're made in his image as a group, as it were, of saved saints. We image God that way too. You say, well, I don't, I find that very hard to believe, Paul, and I don't think I can go there. Okay, fair enough. What do you do with these words? What do you do with them? Because there are certainly kings outside of the New Jerusalem and they are ruling over nations, which means there are people outside the New Jerusalem and there are people in the New Jerusalem. So what do you do with it? Some of them, some of them are not allowed in the New Jerusalem to dwell there. They, they have, they're kicked out into the... No, you can't do that. You have to say, no, this is a blessed paradise... And there are certain places where certain peoples of God will dwell. That will be their dwelling. They, can, they have commerce. They go in and out. They have fellowship with one another. And yet there is a difference as well. Can I speculate? Do you mind if I speculate? I don't often speculate from the pulpit. So this is not holy writ, Okay. Can I do this? You can ignore this. If you want to go to sleep for a, a minute, then you can go to sleep right now, okay? But here's my speculation. <clears throat> Israel, according to Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah and a number of passages I can tell you, is married to Jehovah God, God the Father. The church is betrothed to Jesus Christ who is not God the Father. And since God is not a polygamist, that means Israel is married to the Father, the church is married to the Son, and perhaps the nations in the future will be, as it were, married in this metaphorical way to the Spirit. That makes sense to me. I know I'm pushing the boat out, so you can, you know, you don't have to go there, but it makes sense to me. Look at 22.2. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. No, oh, that was in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? That was the thing that, that Adam and Eve had to be thrust out of Eden so that they couldn't get to it and live forever. There it is. Which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You say, well, hold on a minute. Hold on. You're saying that uh, things are not going to be exactly perfect there? I don't know. I'm just reading the passage. But I do believe that we will be glorified with Jesus' glorified body. However, it is not necessarily the case, nor does it have to be, that every saint from every era has that same glorified 
um, subsistence. It doesn't appear so here. Adam and Eve had to partake of the tree of life, which is why they were thrown out. Here, people have to be have to partake of the tree of life. What's wrong with that? It's eternal blessed life either way. And God is a God of variety. You say, well, this is doing my head in. I don't know if I can take all of this. I'm just dealing with the text. Now, there should be four points to this sermon, but I didn't put point four in until, uh, or point three in until uh, this last week, which was a real oversight. Look at 21-22, which Steve read out for us. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Well, a temple is a place that people come to, to worship. A temple is a place that people come to, to worship God. But if there are no barriers between us and God, because sin has been completely done away with and the curse has been done away with, then you just simply come to God. So there's no need for a temple, although New Jerusalem is actually... Uh, as it were, a big holy of holies that we dwell in. Now think about that. Our worship will be that personal. We come not to the temple, we come to God to worship him personally there. And when we do that, we will get a a sight of what the ancients called the beatific vision, which is the vision of God in his splendor, who he is, and we, who we are as his children. We will see our Father, we will see our Savior. We will get that incredible glimpse of the creator. Um, Puritan Thomas Case, I like the Puritans, <clears throat> says this in the, uh, one of his books. He says, The saints shall not only be where Christ is, but they shall enjoy the beatific- beatifical vision. Well, he's a Puritan. They shall see and behold that which the seeing and beholding of will make them blessed forever. See, the real blessing of heaven, the real blessing of the new Jerusalem, the real blessing of what is to come is not just the splendor of the city and the splendor of the new earth and the new creation but it is the overwhelming wonder of the personal encounter with the Creator Himself. The vision of God. The close personal encounter with God. You will see Him. 
You will hear him. You will converse with him. This is overwhelming. But there will be no fear. You won't be frightened of him because he's your father. You won't be frightened of the son because he's your brother. You won't be frightened of the influence of the Holy Spirit because he is the one who has equipped you to dwell here. Chapter 22, verse 3 says, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Not as slaves, but as honored servants in the family of God, sons and daughters. And finally, this is the fourth point, chapter 22 and verse 6 says, Then he said to me, this is the angel that showed John the vision, These words are faithful and true. All right, I gave you a little bit of Hanabry speculation in this sermon. You can just throw that out, okay? Because it's not inspired. I hope it's true. I hope it's right. I think I'm onto something, but I might not be. Well, everybody who thinks they're onto something, you know, thinks they're onto something. But, so you can throw that out if you want. But, don't throw out what the words say. Don't throw out the proportions of the New Jerusalem or its foundations or its streets of gold. Don't throw out the nations and the kings that come in and out of those pearly gates. <laughs> Don't throw out the transformation in your mind, in your body, in your emotions, in your perceptions. Don't throw out the vision of God that dwells in it and its light. That's all in the text. And John says these words are faithful and true. He's right at the end of the book. Hey, the time for, uh, as it were, messing around is gone. Okay? I mean, he's finishing the book here. And he says this is faithful and it's true. The end of the Bible. Well, is it? Do you believe that it is? Because I can't do anything else to try and persuade you. And it's all by grace. And all of this and everything that eternity has and that will be opened up to us then, it's all by grace. I mean, it's nothing to do with what we've done or who we are right now. It's all because of who God is. It's all because of what God has done and how he sacrificed and the pain that Jesus went through and what he endured and the humiliation that he had to go through. Why? So that you and I can dwell eternally in the new Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us just to glimpse this a little bit better, to think about it more.
and to thank you more for what is in store for us. We don't deserve this. It's because of your love that's bestowed upon us, the greatness of your sacrifice, the greatness of the Son's willingness to die for us, and of the Spirit's willingness to apply the merits of Jesus and of his resurrection to us. The book of Revelation closes with the prayer, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That is how we pray, Father. We pray it not just for ourselves because we are looking forward with great anticipation for this great change and this great day, but we pray it, Lord, for the suffering saints throughout the world. We have it so easy here, but there are saints throughout the world who are truly suffering for your name. Unfairness and injustice is uh, what they have to put up with daily. And for their sake, Father, I pray also, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. What a glorious picture this is of our future. In First Thessalonians, uh, Paul closes his letter um, to the church in Thessalonica with a benediction. And I'm going to read this benediction over you, but I want to back up a little bit and read to you his instructions leading into this, because I think this is very apropos this morning. He writes, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.